You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. Amid a cascade of ethics questions about EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt, President Trump says he still has confidence in Pruitt. Departing from West Virginia yesterday, Trump denied reports that he was considering replacing the former Oklahoma Attorney General. Scott has done a fantastic job. I think he's a fantastic person. Joining us is Jennifer DeLoey, a Bloomberg News energy policy reporter. Jennifer, tell us about the latest Pruitt ethics scandal involving a lease on a D.C. condo and the new information you reported on. Right. So we know that last year, Administrator Pruitt rented for up to about six months, rented a bedroom uh, in a condo near Capitol Hill, on Capitol Hill, that from a uh, healthcare lobbyist. And her husband is also a lobbyist. He's an energy lobbyist with uh, whose firm has clients uh, regularly going before the EPA. Um, and what we learned uh, fairly recently was that he, Pruitt, basically paid $50 a night to stay in this one-bedroom unit. Uh, the the interesting part of this arrangement was that he only paid uh, that sum of money on the nights he stayed there. Uh, so uh, on other nights when he wasn't in Washington, D.C., he could leave a suitcase there, leave some belongings there on a limited basis, but he didn't actually have to pay. Now, your story this morning on the Bloomberg Terminal follows up on that. That lobbyist didn't necessarily have business before the EPA last year, but he had a roster of clients who perhaps did. Can you connect those dots for us? Right, absolutely. So, uh, for instance, he has lobbied in the past for Chenier uh, uh, Energy, the first major exporter of liquefied natural gas from the United States. And while that is not necessarily, or or EPA doesn't directly uh, regulate LNG, uh, administrative Pruitt last year went on a trip to Morocco to tout the benefits of LNG. Uh, and uh, so that's that's an interesting connection. He's he's lobbied for a, a bottling company, for instance, uh, that was facing a uh, fine uh, for violating air pollution requirements, permitting requirements uh, related to air pollution, and uh, settled that case with the EPA last year. Uh, so there's an array of these these. M- 
you know, clients where they had uh, some kind of dealings with the EPA, and maybe it was tangential, uh, but but it still points to the issues that are raised and the appearance of impropriety that that can be raised in this kind of a situation where you have this uh, odd uh, interaction uh, with Pruitt uh, basically renting from a pair of lobbyists. Jennifer, the Wall Street Journal has just reported that White House Chief of Staff John Kelly told President Trump last week that he's convinced that EPA Chief Pruitt needs to step down. And we know that just this morning, Trump tweeted that and showing that he still has confidence in Pruitt. What are the pressures on Trump uh, besides Kelly to replace Pruitt when who's pushing the Trump economic agenda hard. I'm sorry, right. the environmental agenda hard. Right. So he is, I would say the president is under tremendous pressure and it's coming at him from, from all sides with regard to Pruitt. So he, even in his own, uh, you know, stable of advisors, he's hearing divergent opinions uh, from uh, from folks that are very critical of Pruitt's handling of these matters and uh, are just seeing the the daily headlines as incredibly damaging. Uh, But he's also hearing from conservatives inside and outside the White House who are saying, this is our guy. And uh, he's doing more to advance your agenda at the EPA than almost anybody else in the cabinet. You can't afford to uh, let him go. And frankly, you're not going to be able to get uh, anyone like him confirmed in the Senate. And when you say anyone like him, I'm so glad you said that because it's not just that he's a deregulator guy, but he's got contacts. He knows people. He knows people, CEOs who are in those businesses that would do work with or be affected by the EPA. Clarify that for us. Well, he comes to the EPA from Oklahoma, which obviously is a big oil and gas producer. There's a number of energy companies based there. Uh, He has a long history with uh, those companies and and really brushes with the industry. So, So he comes to the EPA with kind of a knowledge of businesses that are regulated by the EPA. Uh, obviously, he comes to the EPA also having sued it more than a dozen times. Oh, I forgot about that. You're right. Right. So, so this is this is someone who is is very much of the belief that EPA regulations should be more limited. That states should take primacy in regulating a lot of environmental matters and. Uh, and, and he has the chops to do it legally. I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, he's got the expertise and he's got this background. So that that's something that conservatives are, are saying to Trump. You can't afford to get rid of this expertise. And you're not you really aren't going to get someone as passionate about this in the job. But, Jennifer, haven't most of Pruitt's initiatives or new law, new regulations been stopped in the courts, at least for the, the present? Right. It is absolutely early days in the efforts by Pruitt to rewrite a lot of these regulations. Uh, So, for instance, you know, he's in the early part of of, of replacing the clean power plan, the the signature Obama rule to uh, ratchet down greenhouse gas emissions from power plants. So he's proposed to roll that that back, um, but there's litigation underway that may uh, put that in jeopardy. He's tried to roll back some some rules on methane pollution, and that's being challenged in the court. So so certainly, uh, you know, it's not clear how all of this will end up, but it also uh, is true that this regulatory effort takes time, and it is still very early in the process. Let's take a step back. Uh, Looking at the different scandals, controversies, ethics issues versus the connections and the inability to perhaps get somebody confirmed who would be like him. What are the scales telling you? How does this weigh right now? Is this uh, uh, just you have to look in some tea leaves here. (laughs) Yeah, it's 
I will say that every hour it feels like the the temperature changes on this a little bit, and, and it is hard to read. Doesn't right. like the scandal. Like right. he's not down with that. Absolutely, but you know, you look at these tweets. So it's very interesting as you look at the tweets and even much of the phrasing yesterday. It is very focused on Pruitt's job performance, and I think that there's a distinction between praising how the job he's doing versus praising the man himself, and uh, I think that reflects some of this, the concerns in the White House that go all the way up to the president. And I think what we're going to see over the next few days, the question is, what weighs more strongly on the president? Is it his uh, allergy to the scandal or is it his concern that he really wants a conservative fighter in his administration and he's not willing to let this guy go? Jennifer, another thing is that the EPA's top ethics officer said last week that the arrangement, the condo arrangement, didn't violate federal gift bans for government employees. But his analysis was very narrow, was only based on one thing, and he didn't do a complete analysis. So that may that maybe see a change there? Right. So that really, just yesterday, this ethics officer, uh, or two days ago, actually, this ethics officer penned another memo saying, look, I only looked at uh, whether this was fair market value. I didn't consider whether this uh, rental was used as it was supposed to be in the lease. And I I certainly didn't consider whether there was any violation of the, the ethics rules around impartiality. So what he's saying there is there's a whole bunch of areas unexplored, really, by his initial analysis that could uh, could prove damaging to Pruitt as we dig further into this, as folks look cl- more closely at his interactions over the last year and a half. All right. Well, we will have to wait and see. Trump has said many times before, supported his uh, appointees, and then later on tweeted they were fired. Thanks so much, Jennifer. That's Jennifer DeLoey, Bloomberg News Energy Policy Reporter. In 2017, the Senate confirmed 12 nominees for circuit court appointments, an achievement President Trump noted earlier this year in a speech at the Conservative Political Action Conference. We've confirmed a record number, so important, of circuit court judges, and we are going to be putting in a lot more. Joining us is Bloomberg Law reporter Patrick Gregory. Patrick, President Donald Trump may get a chance to flip three federal appeals courts that currently have a majority of Democratic-appointed judges to a majority of Republican appointees. Tell us about that. Right, and the reason that's important is because these federal courts of appeals, they are the highest court besides the Supreme Court. So from issues ranging from abortions to guns, you name it, these are the highest courts that any given dispute is likely to uh, get to. Three in particular are close to flipping. You have the Second Circuit, which is where New York is, the Third Circuit, where Pennsylvania is, and the Eleventh Circuit, where Florida is. They're all in sort of striking range of having more Republican appointees than Democrat appointees. Uh, Patrick, are these uh, particular courts known for being uh, particularly political? I don't know if I'd say they're known for being particularly political, but when you add more, when a president adds uh, judges that he's chosen, it definitely has an effect. Um, In the Ninth Circuit, which is one I didn't name because it's not going to flip, um, but there's seven vacancies, so you could go from six uh, Republican appointees to 13. That's not going to flip, but the appointees there could definitely moderate the decisions of the majority, and they can write more dissents that will draw attention to cases that the Supreme Court might want to review. Uh, So, Patrick, Trump set a record for a president in his first year confirming 12 circuit court nominees or having them confirmed, but only two this year. Why isn't he moving at a faster pace? 
That's a good question because you have midterms looming. There's a long shot chance of Republicans losing the Senate, and they would need Senate control to confirm nominees, especially after what happened with Merrick Garland. You assume that the Democrats, you know, might take a chance to to give them some payback if if they take control of the Senate. Um, But, you know, look at Tennessee, where the Democratic candidate is polling 10 points ahead in a state that Trump carried by 26 points. You would think that there would be some more urgency there from Trump and the Republicans in the Senate. One of the hurdles is that Democrats are requiring 30 hours of debate for each nominee. And so to confirm all of the 10 pending appellate nominees, um, added with the 45 pending district court nominees, it would take more than 68 days. And that's going on the Senate floor 24-7. So you have a big time hurdle there. But at the same time, the Senate Republicans could try to change that rule. There's been a proposal to limit um, the debate required for district court nominees to just two hours, make it easier maybe for the appellate nominees to get through. wouldn't be such a time burden. I think part of it is just uh, Senate Republicans have different priorities right now, a lot of other issues going on. They may feel like they've gotten as much mileage with the voters for now that they need as far as, um, as Trump touted, the, the record-setting number of confirmations he got in 2017. That's interesting because that is something that the president has touted many times when he uh, goes on speaking engagements, mm-hmm. the fact that he's uh, uh, put in so many more uh, judges at the circuit level. Do, do you mm-hmm. foresee the president uh, putting more pressure on the, the Senate to uh, confirm uh, some of these uh, federal appeals court vacancies, uh, you know, given the attention that, uh, that these you know, next to highest courts in the land get? I think it depends on how much the base really pushes for it and whether the base is more focused on other issues. I really think getting Gorsuch confirmed, it, it took Bush, uh, Trump a long way um, with his base. There's kind of a funny saying, you know, but Gorsuch, um, you know, we don't like Trump's decisions on tariffs and whatnot, but we got Gorsuch out of it. I think there will be some more pressure as we go down the road, but Trump and the Senate Republicans might just think, hey, we're probably going to win, or maybe they, they're just completely confident they are going to win in the midterms, and then they can just get to this later. Explain how Trump's ability to flip the circuits depends partially on how many judges are going to take senior status, which is up to the judges themselves. Right. So senior status is a form of semi-retirement where a federal judge, um, once he reaches age 65 and reaches certain requirements about how long he's been on the bench, they can enter a form of semi-retirement where they can still sit on cases, but their seat um, is considered vacant. They go from active status to senior status, so then the president gets to appoint someone else for the active status seat. And about half of federal judges are now eligible for senior status, so the bench is, is pretty old in that sense. But I've talked to experts that say there's really not much you can do to convince a judge to go ahead and take senior status. For example, if Trump wanted more Republican judges to take senior status, he could encourage them to do that. And some people have written that he should. But my sense is that these judges, they, they tend to linger and they retire when they want to retire. Patrick, does the president uh, have any uh, appointees on his shortlist for some of these vacancies that could be opening up in the appeals courts? Um, short list for what? For, for the vacancies? Yeah, for the vacancies, yeah. Yeah, he has um, a number of nominations pending. Yeah, there, there are 10 nominations pending. Um, and as far as short list, um, you know, this is definitely a traditional path um, going from a court of appeals to the Supreme Court uh, if a vacancy opens up there. Um, we saw that with Amal Sapar, uh, a federal court nominee. He was um, 
confirmed, and uh, before he was even confirmed, he was on President Trump's uh, short list of potential Supreme Court nominees. Um, so that is definitely something we could see. Patrick, uh, we have about a minute here, less actually, but um, to explain how some of the some of the uh, nominees have actually had some Democratic support. They've been moderate enough. Right, and that's the other question here. This metric of whether you have more Republican appointees versus Democratic appointees, it's kind of murky, and it's, it's far from perfect, but it's sort of the best, best we got. And the question is, how ideological are those nominees going to be? That's obviously part of the effect that they're going to have. And we've seen some nominees who have not appeared to be ideological. We've seen even nominees to the Ninth Circuit, which is seen as... Patrick, I'm going to have to stop you there. We'll pick up with this in the future. That's Bloomberg Law reporter Patrick Gregory. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.